This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. I'm your host, Casey Finey, and this is Creative Conversation, a Fast Company podcast. Drag has finally been getting its long overdue place in mainstream, led in no small part by RuPaul's Drag Race. The show has introduced the world to nearly 200 queens across the US, UK, and Thailand. And while every queen is special in their own right, it's hard to turn those 15 minutes of fame into a lasting career. But that's something Monet Exchange doesn't have to worry about. Since her time on season 10 of Drag Race and winning All Stars 4, Monet has appeared in national ad campaigns, released a visual album, and got her own talk show. And to hear her tell it, that's barely her first act. In our conversation, Monet explains how learning to embrace her blackness has impacted her drag, why she's making music and not drag music, because there is a very important distinction there, and how she's able to block out criticism on social media and that nagging beast of perfection to focus on her craft. Monet, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me oh, please. on this very rainy New York City day. I know, but you're just blessing this podcast room, so we appreciate In it. In Jesus' name. <laughs> In a Gucci tracksuit, no less. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I want to know, I mean... What did you see in drag that ignited that creative passion for you? Like, where did all this start, really? You know, for me, um, I grew up seeing drag queens haphazardly on TV. I'm, I'm sure we all have. You've seen some episode of some Christmas show with the You know, we've uh-huh. all seen some type of um, iteration of a drag queen on TV. And I remember being scared of drag queens. I thought drag queens were weird. I'm like... <laughs> This like, a, they're a lot. They can oh, be a lot. Absolutely. It's like, why is this, like, what is going on? And I went to school in New York City um, um, at PPAS mm-hmm. and in Midtown. And I remember getting off the train to go to school and seeing drag queens on the train going home. And they would look <laughs> crazy. So I was always scared of drag queens. But um, I met Peppermint. Um, she did something at my college called Drag Ball. We love Peppermint. Where she would come in and perform for us and put us in drag. And then the kids would do, like, a pageant for her. So that was like my first time actually meeting a drag queen. And I just remember how electrifying and how she made this entire room of nervous freshmen and sophomores feel so comfortable with their identity, with with their sexuality. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I just remember thinking like how powerful that was and thinking that I want to be that to some kids someday or to whoever. So Mm -hmm. Peppermint was the first time I saw a drag queen and I saw myself in something that I thought that I had inside of me that I could give to other people. Yeah. And, you know, you studied (laughs) opera at Ryder University. Yeah, Yeah, Westminster. And so I know you still do music, but what made you lean more into drag as opposed to going, leaning more into opera? Well, you know, honestly, the real tea is opera and drag are pretty much the same thing. I mean, hey, (laughs) dramatics and theatrics. (laughs) Opera singers have a little more eyelash, you know? It's the same thing they both went you're still paying for the people in the back exactly (laughs) um and i sang for a while i sang with portland opera Mm -hmm. for a while and i I did that program for two years and it was great and i learned a lot but then i found myself back at home in the summer and i was broke as hell Mm -hmm. and i i was like oh my god how am i gonna pay my stupid this this is back when it had singular remember singular oh yeah how am i gonna pay my singular self all day so I just did a little pageant, and I I hadn't even really seen so much Drag Race yet because uh-huh. they were on I think season two or three at that point, right. and I had seen like an episode or two, but and I was like whatever. But I did this pageant, and I just had so much fun. I just put on some Ruby Woo lipstick from Mac. That's when Ruby <laughs> Ruby Woo didn't just come out, but it was you know she was she was new on the market. Yeah, she was still fresh. And yeah. I was doing Ruby Woo, and I put on some eyeliner, and I did this 
thing at therapy bar called Cattle Call, hosted by Peppermint. Uh-huh. And I had the time of my life. And I didn't win that night, but something in it, I was like, this was so much fun. And then from there, it was just getting dressed. And before I know it, I had my own show. And then it just grew and grew and grew. So I just think that drag gave me more access into performing more than opera was giving me at the time. Mm-hmm. So naturally, as a born performer, I was like, I want to do this now instead right. of focusing so much on opera. And I'm glad you brought up Ruby Woo because I was going to ask, I mean, what was early Monet like? Oh, girl. <laughs> the first wig I bought Take was in back. Soho at this like this really shitty store in Soho. Um, back when Soho was still popping because it's not no more. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> I mean, facts. So. And I got this wig and honestly, truth be told, it was actually a really good wig. I had no idea what I was doing. but Was it a kitty cat wig? It was not. It was like a shoulder length, curly six twenty seven. If, if um, all my ladies out there that know your colors, six twenty seven is like a honey blonde, and it was. But it was a lace front. I didn't even know what lace fronts were. I just happened to. The drag gods were smiling upon me when they led me to that store to get a nice lace. And I used it, honestly, for years. I retired really? maybe only like three years ago. Oh, wow. I know. Oh, my it was a, It was a great wig. It really was. I mean, that's the thing. So, I mean, how would you say your performance style, your even like your aesthetic style has evolved to where you are now? Um, you know, I think that New York Queens as a whole, we mm-hmm. prioritize performance more yeah. than, not saying that other queens in other cities don't, prioritize performance, but New York City's are uh, queens are really performance-based. Like, you think of the great performers like Bob, and you think of Peppermint, and you think of Sasha Velour, and mm-hmm. you think of Bianca, who's such a... Like, we, comedy and performance are, like, at the head of what the drag queen New York City stone is. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So, um, so that was always my, my, my main priority, is that not what I'm wearing, not what wig I have on, but are you coming to my show and being entertained? Mm-hmm. Are you leaving, living, like, thinking that you had the best out of your life, as opposed to, my outfit was perfect, my right. hair was, like, who cares? Like, that's not what people are, yeah, I mean, nowadays, drag is so about aesthetics, I feel, because mm-hmm. of Instagram and of Twitter and all that stuff. So it is more uh, leaning into aesthetics, but I feel like when I started drag, I wanted to be a great performer, right. and that was my main goal. I didn't care about anything else. And up to today, you know, you have to keep up with the Joneses. you got to get new cops and get new outfits, because, you know, season 10, I got red for not having <laughs> fierce outfits and fierce costumes. But again, I think that my drag spoke, and it spoke differently to people, because right. people were watching me and being thoroughly entertained. So... But you, you know, you gotta grow at the time. I was entertained. And I, Thank you. I was gonna ask, I mean, I feel like, you know, the drag community is incredibly crowded, which I think is a good thing. That being said, I mean, it really means that you have to find your own lane. So yeah. what assets or combination of assets do you feel like you have that makes you unique? Um, I think that something that um, I try to echo a lot in my drag is celebrating blackness Mm -hmm. um you know i've said this before it took me a long time to appreciate my skin and being black like i remember it wasn't so my you know because just growing up in america i was just taught that who i was i was not valued by society Mm -hmm. i I was looked at as a monster as someone who was um who needed to be tamed so growing up i felt that a lot i didn't see i didn't see magazines that i felt represented me i didn't see books that i could see myself in so I feel like it was ingraining me from a young age and through adolescence to not really celebrate my blackness. And then I remember graduating college and being in the city and traveling with opera and working. And then I remember one day I just, I woke up and I looked in the mirror and I was like, oh my God, your chocolate skin is fucking, oh, can I curse on this podcast? Yes, you can, please. 
I remember my saying, like, "Oh my God, this is so beautiful." This because I, you know, I was I was in Oregon. I was in Eugene, yeah. Oregon, which if anyone knows, of all places. <laughs> um, Eugene, Oregon is not a visited by the melanated I variety very often. I was just about to ask. It just doesn't sound like you it would know, be, but you know, there hey. are about three black people in the whole state, and um, I was one of them. So, and I remember just waking up in the morning, like it, it was, it's just like a, a, a light switch. I just. I was like, I was 21 years old. I was like, oh my God, your your skin is beautiful. And then from that point on, especially my drag, I try to wear natural hair and I try to wear braids and I try to wear afros and I try to wear things that that I didn't typically see a lot when I was growing up. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I just think that even though I am not a um, biological woman, I you know, I as drag, I try to personify that as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And for kids who are, who because now a lot of kids are watching drag Absolutely. and they're engrossed in drag race. We have kid drag uh, drag queens now, you know, Absolutely, Lactatia right. and mm-hmm. all those kids, which is such a crazy name for a kid, Lactatia. I know, right? <laughs> oh my God, do you know what Lactatia is? <laughs> and, you know, I want to show... I'm glad you said it, because I was wondering. <laughs> you know, Lactatia, that was a real name for a kid. Um, but um, for the people, for the kids who are watching me or whoever to, to show that I am embracing my blackness mm-hmm. and my drag and, and doing as much as possible. And, you know, I've, I've been around people saying, girl, braids again. Yeah, braids every motherfucking day. <laughs> exactly. You know, so. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, I feel like it's interesting that you, you, you mentioned um, RuPaul's Track Race, obviously, is how we, we all got to know you. Mm-hmm. And you were eliminated on uh, season 10 unfairly, as many would say. Yeah, you I mean, I, I am one of those. I mean, Just saying, yeah, I mean. But then you turned around and came back <laughs> on All Stars 4 and won it. So, you know, now that you have some distance from those experiences, I mean, like, what would you say has been your most significant learning lesson? Um, I think my most significant learning lesson is... Stop trying to achieve perfection. Mm. Uh, perfection is something that it is impossible. We we a lot of us set these standards and these sights of trying to be perfect and move in the perfect way and say the perfect thing and being everything to everybody. And you and you literally just cannot. It right. is impossible to be everything to everyone. Just be yourself authentically. And that is, I stutter. I uh, I'm, I'm a mess. I I say the wrong things. I I, I wear the wrong things. I do the wrong things sometimes. You but... talking about me or you? Like, you, <laughs> you know like, what I mean? Like all the, it the is boxes. impossible to be right. perfect and be everything for everyone. But right. if you, but it's one thing that you can't always be is yourself. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So that's what I've learned the most. And I'm not always gonna do the right things. I'm not. Gonna, I'm, not I'm not always gonna. I can't strive for sainthood. I'm not a saint. I'm not Guadalupe. I am not. <laughs> I'm. I, I'm just not. So. Um, I think that's the biggest lesson I've learned is to just be authentically yourself, and that's someone who misspeaks sometimes, but always having the grace to apologize and just live authentically. Yeah. And how would you say, because I, I would imagine it's it's such, I mean, they call it the Olympics of drag for a reason. It's like mm-hmm. a powder keg environment. So how would you say that pushed or elevated your creativity as a drag queen? Oh, that's a good question. Um yeah, it is the Olympics of drag, and you have all eyes on you for that whole, for that season. For, and, the, and a whole Reddit community. Hey, Reddit. The, <laughs> girl, Reddit. Reddit and I we're um, in a fight right now, um, but we're we're working on it. We're we're seeing each other on weekends now, um, and we're <laughs> easing back into it. Listen, listen, girl, the fandom is the fa- rough. you know that, that's the, that's the craziest thing about the drag race thing is the fandom because the drag mm-hmm. race fans specifically can be very 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 harsh and very brutal mm-hmm. to the girls mm-hmm. and yeah that's been the thing that i've been trying that i that you honestly you're always trying to learn how to handle and how to get hands on and but that's the thing that that has taken a lot 
out of me, yeah. I would say, is tackling. Now you have all eyes and you, all people are being so critical of every single thing that you do. Whereas two years ago at this time, I was in my apartment eating huge chips uh, <laughs> and watching the view on my bed <laughs> and not worrying about what anyone, not going on my social media to see what people, you know what I'm saying? Right. So it just takes a lot to learn and how to handle and knowing not to let it consume your life because it really can. I, yeah. I know some girls who are literally crippled by social media and they, they cannot do anything else mm -hmm. because they're so afraid of what people are going to think and say about them. And you right. just, I cannot be a slave to social media for the rest of my life. I just no. can't. Right. And so fandom aside, I mean, like, Getting back to like, like the, that creative experience, I mean, like, how would you say being on Drag Race twice now yeah. has elevated your drag? Oh, it's definitely forced me to upgrade the level and the style of my drag to. I, I would, because drag queens are celebrities now. We are yeah. on red carpets, we own these things. It has pushed me to be super creative and to always represent myself to the best of my ability. And I think it's forced me to be more creative and to always try to up the ante in terms of performance styles. Instead of, you know, if, if I was doing Celine Dion, um, I drove all night before, mm -hmm. I would just be probably be on a bar stage and mimic a car with my two hands. <laughs> I drove all night. But now I'm like hiring someone to design a car that can travel to the show and then have, you know, like it, it just ups your creativity so mm -hmm. that you can give the audience a performance worthwhile that's something that they can really go back and girl i went to industry last night i saw bodega shade <laughs> bitch she pulled out a car on stage and you know it just pushes you to, to be more creative and give people an experience as opposed to just a performance right and so for you i mean how do you balance making sure you give a good performance and not hiding behind the gimmicks this is true oh what what, what, what a lovely question <laughs> i mean <laughs> um <laughs> i think that i've always been known to be a really good performer and mm -hmm. that and to me as a drag queen that means knowing every breath every comma every semicolon and so that the audience know that you know that song through and through up and down left right like so it's just sticking Make sure that you are prioritizing like the base, like the, the basics of drag, which mm -hmm. is just knowing everything you're lip sync, so that you can add a car, you can add fire, you can add, you can add an angel dropping down from the sky, and like I don't know, beheaded, whatever. Right. <laughs> is that the basics of drag are covered? That um, that you know every word, and that you are that I'm looking at everybody in their eyes when mm -hmm. I'm lip sync. That you know, uh huh, yeah, I'm here with you, Mary. <laughs> So. Okay, let's just ask. I mean, like, what would you say is the because on this podcast we've talked a lot about the creativity of like improv, and I would mm -hmm. imagine that especially on a competition where you know the song you're going to sing, you have you get like what a list before the yeah you get starts, a list before the show starts, and then but you you don't know if you're going to be in the bottom that right, week, and exactly. then like when you know the song, so a lot of it is like yeah you can go into it knowing the songs, but then when you get when you hit that stage and you have to actually perform it, mm -hmm. there's a lot that you can just kind of improv and kind of like feel the moment. So yeah. Like, how do you improv? Like, what's the art or the creativity behind improv and lip sync? You know, I always, before Drag Race, I was like, oh, I want to do like an improv class so I can be blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. I can prepare this and I can know how to do that. And Bob was like, Monet, you don't need an improv class. He was like, you've been doing this for this many years. Trust yourself mm -hmm. and know that when the time comes, like, you'll know what to do. And that's what every lip sync I did. I was living in the moment. I, I just did things and I trusted myself because, again, I've been performing for six years in the city mm. six nights a week i worked every night except friday night wow. doing 
lip syncing and licensing and performing and entertaining people. Never once was I home like, oh, I need to go and do like so. Drag Race made me think that I needed to have all these crutches just mm. to make sure that I would be successful. And Bob really talked some sense into me. He was like, you've been doing this for a long time. Touch yourself and just know that you're going to be able to do what you need to do when the time comes. And it did work out. Every lip sync I did, I did a really good job. And they're, um, for lack of a better word, iconic. Listen. I'm so, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Like, the pound the alarm thing. I, that pe- I was just thinking. People right asked, and they're like, girl, so how much time did you, did you prepare? I was like, I honestly... I the song started and I just went on autopilot and I just performed. I wasn't acting like, ooh, I'm gonna fake hair and I'm gonna do that. I was just performing in the moment. I just let myself. You didn't have to embarrass Tessa <laughs> like that. I mean, come on, <laughs> like, that was just rude. You know, a funny story. We um, there was a party in New York called La Queen and it was mm-hmm. at a, a club called Bedlam, and Dusty was the host of it. And so I went down there. They had like this big competition and Bob was there and Bob and I decided to go downtown to go watch it. So we went, and one of the queens just happened to be doing a Monet exchange. Like, she dressed up as, like, a, she did her own iteration of the sponge dress uh, or whatever. <laughs> and she did this whole mix, and at the end of it, 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 it ends with Pondy Alarm. So then she was doing Pondy Alarm, and she's doing some of my stuff, and then Bob was like, Monet, go out there and pretend to be Dusty. <laughs> with Dusty right there. And Dusty's a little sensitive about it still oh. sometimes. And I was like, Bob, no, I'm not doing that. He's like, Monet, go out there and do it. So I just went there, and I did, like, some, you know, some Dustyisms. <laughs> And Dusty was, she was like, really, girl? Are you? I was like, girl, it was two years ago, Barry. It's all for the gays now. But yeah, Bob, was oh, a, he's God. a fire starter. And speaking of Bob, I mean, obviously. Well, we're can we about, not? I mean, well, we have to. You've mentioned him so much. Come on. We're talking about Bob the Drag Queen, the winner of, what, season eight now? God, well, she's like kind of one. I mean, <laughs> you, just, you can't let her have anything. <laughs> she don't deserve nothing. <laughs> Obviously, you two have been friends uh, for quite some time, and mm-hmm. but you're also working together. I mean, you have your podcast, yeah. Sibling Rivalry, amazing podcast. So how has it been developing that professional relationship with a friend? You know, it's tricky sometimes. We fight, and we, people don't see we fight and we argue a lot. I mean, I, mean, I get to hit the scene of the podcast. That's <laughs> <'cause>, <laughs> but it's called um, Sibling Rivalry <laughs> for a reason. It's like... It's just that we're both so opinionated and we're both so headstrong about what we want and mm-hmm. what we envision for the podcast. Recently, we, we released on our Patreon this fight we had because <sighs> we, you know, it was Bob came to me. He was like, Monet, let's do a podcast together called Sibling Rivalry. And I was like, yes, well, I'm on a board. And we, you know, we've done it together. So, but in his mind, it's his podcast. I'm like, it's not yours. It's we're doing it together. <laughs> so we had this. We released this argument. He he proposed a question while we were recording episode. He's like, what do you guys think about us doing something called the only child? And I was like, I'm not into that. He's like, where we interview people separately, we come together. I was like, no, I'm not into that. I was like, if you want to do a podcast where you interview people, start your own podcast. The right. Sibling Rivalry is its own thing. So we had this big fight for like four minutes on the podcast and we <laughs> released it as an exclusive people were like oh my god you guys are great i was like yeah because i i feel strongly he feels strongly so it's been us trying to navigate what is in the best interest of our podcast mm-hmm. and our friendship <laughs> as opposed to business things sometimes so sometimes we got to step back step away and be like you go in your corner i go in my corner i was just about and to ask then let's come back how do you solve those creative differences yeah yeah because that's like it's very tricky especially when you're talking about a friend because yeah. like you just always want to try to guard that friendship mm-hmm. at all costs but naturally as you said you're two headstrong people so yeah. it's like you're gonna butt heads 100 oh, so, so is it just like you go to your corner i go to mine and just like cool off for a minute or like yeah well that's that's my go-to bob mm-hmm. likes to handle things in the moment immediately like if we have a fight right now he's like no we're not leaving until we until we 
movie has it. I'm like, that's not going to be, that's not going to work for me. <laughs> right. So sometimes we're fighting about how we're going to make up. It's just, sometimes it's the, it's the craziest thing. But um, we've managed, our friendship has lasted eight years now. See, we're still there you friends. Go. There you go. But um, tomorrow's a new day. <laughs> um, but uh, for most of the time, it's me saying, I need a day. Mm-hmm. Just give me 24 hours. I just need to just not be with you. And he's like, no, let's talk about it. And so it's just me literally just getting my coat and disappearing for a day and coming back and be like, <laughs> Okay, now let's talk. (laughs) And, you know, what I'm always curious about when I talk to drag queens is figuring out how they're making sense of what seems to be the Wild West. And I feel like a lot of people have mentioned this before, that it's because drag has become so mainstream, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of opportunities. And in those opportunities, you're trying to figure out where you fit, where you belong, what deals you should take. And also on the flip side of that, there are some people who are just at the ready to take advantage of, you know, all these kind of starry eyed queens coming out and being like, oh, I have all these amazing things that I could do. So how's that been for you navigating this really exciting, but also possibly, you know, kind of perilous terrain? I mean, there's a lot of ways, there's a lot of good ways you can go and a lot of bad ways you can kind of go. So how have you been navigating this, this field? Um, I think a lot of it is having a really trustworthy team that mm-hmm. you can bounce ideas off of because not every opportunity is a good opportunity. Mm-hmm. Not every opportunity is a bad opportunity. So it's kind of just like doing your research a little bit and seeing, okay, is this the way I want to go? Is this the brand that I feel that best represents me? Is this something that I would be ashamed of promoting? You know, you, you have to ask yourself all those questions so that you're not doing things that are potentially detrimental to not even your business because, you know, sometimes fuck business. You have to think about Mm -hmm. your mental well-being and your Mm -hmm. mental state of being. So um, I think I ask myself all those questions. Are these, is this something, and sometimes you say yes to something and you have no idea. Even though you do your research, you have no idea it's going to affect people in the way it does Mm -hmm. sometimes. Right. And if you genuinely feel that this is something that you did that was problematic or bad, then sometimes people are afraid to apologize. I have no qualms in apologizing because again, like I said before, I'm a human being. I say the wrong things. I make mistakes. Apologize, mom. Just do right, it. Right. Um, so, um, when I do make those bad decisions and bad mistakes that I feel that didn't best represent me and my brand, I go out and I do apologize. But if it's something that you wholeheartedly believe in, and pe- other people don't, that's not your business. What other people think of you is none of your business. Okay, right. that is their. That, that's theirs. That is what you. You don't like the fact that I do drag. That is literally none of my business. <laughs> you don't like the fact that I wear nails. That is none of my business. You, you don't like the fact that I did this interview with this guy that you don't like. That's none of my business. So I think it's just always thinking in that way and just operating in your best sense of self and your moral compass of what you know to be. You know, you. And how's the learning curve been for the business side of it? Because I think, again, a lot of these drag queens, everyone is so heavy on the creative. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, they may be lacking on the business savvy side of it. So yeah. for you, how has it been developing the business side? Because this is it's mainstream. It's, this, is, this is a big business. Yeah. I mean, a lot of queens are like, honestly, millionaires at oh, this absolutely, point. 100%. So it's like, yeah. how's that been for you? You know, I think that, again, it's, it's having a good team, but also... You know, getting someone in there in that inbox, girl. You know, we <laughs> obviously we get lots of emails and you get lots of inquiries and you get lots of things. And if you don't act soon or fast, you can miss out on a lot of stuff. And mm-hmm. so I think that it is. And again, I am an artist. You know, artists are notoriously on cloud nine a lot, and yeah. <laughs> I'm there sometimes, not all the time. And for those kind of things, I have people like my assistant Patty and 
people to be like, girl, you need to do this thing. You need to you need to press this button. You need to pull it a leather crunk. <laughs> so like you like you, you got to do something. So I think that it is having. Not being afraid, because also some people feel like, no, I do all of it. I want to be in charge of everything. You have to be able to relinquish power sometimes to for your best interest. Like not because it is impossible to do everything by yourself. And um, but again, you don't want to lean on everyone for everything. It, it, honestly, it. I think the biggest lesson I've learned in this whole thing is balance. Balance is so important, and in terms of every aspect of the drag thing, like in terms of your performance, in, in terms, some people want to work seven days a week for the whole year and that's just not good balance it's just not going to have a positive result for you right. and right now it may, it may seem great like oh girl i'm woo, I'm doing it <laughs> i'm on my fourth bump this week girl woo. and then you get to the end of the month and you're like you're a zombie you're drained yeah. you're exhausted so i think it's balancing out the creative the business so that you know to, to help you wield the best result This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. You know, speaking of business, you have a really amazing talk show with the Build series called The Exchange Rate. And so for you, I mean, first of all, I mean, how did that come about? Because when it was announced, I loved the fact that a, a, you got the opportunity, and B, that they were giving this to a drag queen. Because, yeah. like, you know, I think you do music, which is great, mm-hmm. but a lot of drag queens do music. Mm-hmm. And in this particular space, we don't see a lot of drag queens doing doing yeah. a talk show like this. So how did this even come about? Oh, my God. So the season 11 cast was announced, and Build was doing, mm-hmm. they do the big panel yep. where they interview all the girls. And um, they sent me an email. They were like, hey, we're interviewing all the season 11 girls and we would love for you to lead the interview. I was like, oh, that's great. That's a great, that's a great idea. So I was planning this really cute look and everything. And, but the night before, I was coming back from, I forgot where I was coming back from, but I was I was supposed to land at like 10 something in the morning, but mm-hmm. it was winter time, I believe, and my flight got delayed, whatever. So I ended up, the interview was at three o'clock and my flight was now not getting in until one o'clock. Mm. So, but you know, in New York City, which by the time traffic and everything, I didn't get end up getting to the studios until about two o'clock, right. which is an hour before, which is no time to paint my face. I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna go out as a boy and do it as a boy. So that's why I ended up out of drag. But so then after that, the VP there, her name is Suzanne Lindbergh. Mm-hmm. She was like, I cannot tell you how impressed I am with you. You just kept rolling with the punches, and you weren't able to get in drag, but you were just you were just so good and you're so effervescent. And it was it was just, I just loved having you on the show. And then I was like, you know what, I'm gonna do a talk show here. And she was like. <laughs> You're so crazy. I was like, no, I'm serious. I was like, I'm doing a talk show at, at Build. And then she was You pitched that? You said oh, that to her? In that moment, girl, listen, you got you to gotta ask what you want. I, said, I was like, I'm doing a talk show here. And literally every, because downstairs at Build is like these, like these, it's very 21st century uh, offices. Like uh-huh. everybody got their desk to stand it. Everybody was like, this bitch is great. I'm like, I'm not joking. I'm doing a talk show. She was like, here's my car, whatever. So that same night I went home. And I like outlined the, what that what I thought the entire show would look like, oh, the beginning wow. to end. And I wrote her and I sent her the email. I was like, "This is the talk show. When do you think we should start?" And then <laughs> she sent me an email back. She was like, "I like it." And then <laughs> four months later, in May twenty third, we started the we did the first episode. I had no idea. Yeah, it was like that. See, that's the thing. I mean, so that's so interesting to me because you go from seizing that opportunity to like 
interviewing got what logan browning yeah like, uh but miss um miss, miss, U- universe, miss universe like, rue did it can i say when <laughs> rue agreed to do the show it honestly it was i don't think i still don't think rue knows how much that moment meant to me it like changed my life it how was, because I remember, like, growing up and, like, randomly a few times. I was, I was talking to Bob about this the other day. Like, seeing random clips of his talk show mm-hmm. when I was in, mm-hmm. like, middle, middle school or high school. And I was like, this is so weird. But um, <laughs> I just, I've been obsessed with RuPaul, you know, ever since I would see those things. And, you know, Ru doesn't do, he doesn't do much with girls. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like most for most girls, when they get eliminated, that's it. You don't ever see RuPaul right. again. And he'd be like, Oh, how are you? You, you know what I mean? And so when they pitched it to him, I was like, There's no way he's gonna say yes. Yeah. And then he said yes. And then before the show, I went to the green room to can I meet all the guests before and I meet him. I was like, RuPaul Charles. He was like Monet. Nobody had to prompt him. Ain't nobody had to be like, just Monet. Just Monet. <laughs> he was like, Monet Exchange, look at you. He like, you got me on your motherfucking talk show, bitch. And I was like, <laughs> hey, so just that Rue. And he was so excited. And he was, it just meant the world to me that Rue agreed wow. to come on my silly little talk show and talk to me about his life and his talk show at the time and all the stuff he was doing. And so hopefully we can have him back to promote yeah. Aging the Queen. Oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, how has it been for you? Because I mean, live is what you do. Live performance yeah. is what you do. But and how has it been shifting your skill set as a performer into this specific format of a talk show. Yeah, you know, talk shows are hard. People don't tell you. You know, <laughs> I watch Wendy and I watch the talk and the view and everything, mm-hmm. and you think, oh, it's easy. They're just, but it is reading a teleprompter is such a hard, it's, <laughs> it's like a skill it to is. learn how to do. It is so hard to do. Big facts. So it's been me learning all of these new skills that, because you're trying to lead an interview and you're trying to be alert, but you're also trying to remember your questions. And mm-hmm. So it's just like so many different facets. You know, I'm still learning and I'm still growing and I'm still trying to try my best to, 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 to pull it off and, and, and to do a good job. But it has been so hard learning how to shift all of my drag mechanisms into this new facet of doing a talk show. And, mm-hmm. and also me being so hands-on in a lot of it like writing the prompter for Mm -hmm. the opening monologue and this and that so you know because i'm not someone i'm just not like at home and then i get up and do it and i just read what's you know i I try to have my hand in as much of it as possible so that it sounds authentic and that it and i feel that it best represents me because if something is said something isn't done and people at home are like i can't believe you said that I can't blame it on, oh, well, Joe in the production room, he had put that in there. I didn't say that. They're looking at you. So right. it's me trying to be as hands-on as possible and learn how to do all these things that go into producing a talk. I don't think people understand how right. like, how much work it is. And that's the thing. I mean, speaking and also kind of being hands-on, I would imagine you're just as hands-on with your music. I mean, oh, you had yeah. your, your EP, Unapologetically. Yes. And so for you... That I mean, segue was everything. Which I need to... Thank you, you. Oh, yes. Come on, segue. <laughs> that's so you. Oh, yes. Listen, I don't do much well. But segues, <laughs> I'll take it. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, your voice is so very soothing. Oh, I thank you. It thank is. You. I mean, like, listen, if be, it sounds rasp. I feel like it sounds really rasp. No, I listened to I the Amanda's episode. I was like, oh. Oh. <laughs> lovely. Uh-huh. I, 
I appreciate that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, with your music, I mean, first of all, it's such a good EP. Thank you. And I'm so glad you did a visual album with it too, because you know? I think that like, you know, yes, cribbing off Beyonce a little bit, but <laughs> learn from the best and make it your own. And I Hello. do think that it really, it, it just tied all the songs together so beautifully. But, you know, for you, I mean, is there more music in your future? Because I feel like that was... Again, such a such a great look in terms of like the visual album, but yeah. the music was also really good. Yeah. And I know that you've been a big proponent of making sure that it's not just looked at as drag music, but just yes. music. And so for you, like what are the next steps for that? Like how are you gonna keep pushing that conversation and pushing more music to where it's just not drag music, but yeah. music. I had an argument with somebody, I was like, Ugh. You had an argument? Yeah. <laughs> Girl, you know me. I'm always popping off on Twitter, on Instagram, and everything. That's like, why I'm asking. I know. <laughs> itchy Twitter fingers. You know? <laughs> About drag music. And when I say drag music, I'm not trying to be to, to look down on anyone. It's just like a different genre. Mm -hmm. And um, for me, the music that speaks to me is more soothing music. Uh, music that's a little calmer. Things like Sylvester, SZA, her, mm -hmm. her is honest. Oh, she's listen. I listen so to Focus cool. like every day. It is that is such, such a good song. It listen. is just such good music. I know. So, um, that's what that's the type of music that I want to make and mm -hmm. what I what I want to do. And because I feel like artists that do music that they themselves listen to are always my favorite artists and they're always mm -hmm. the one because you you could you know her was up in the Erica Badu she was oh, like you know what I mean like you would tell where inspiration right. was so yeah but it, making music is so hard I have to say my last EP we did it really quickly because with we made the album while All Stars was airing wow so it was me like flying out the whole week and then coming back for like two days and going to the studio for the overnight we made that entire album in four sessions really which is kind of crazy like wow. we would just like basically each song was a session and so it was like recording the whole song then mixing it down and then putting the ad list it was it was crazy so this time we, we want to take more time because i want to have more tracks on the ep mm -hmm. and then um i wanted to really represent who i am even more so than unapologetically was because what's something that i I am I'm a lower singing male, mm -hmm. and I feel like that's. We I was gonna say you have a nice voice. Oh, you're the you're you. the singer here, so like I mean, <laughs> I heard. Listen, the Ave Maria intro. Oh, it's like, uh, I'm just saying. Like you have the voice. <laughs> all right. So I was. I want to dive a little more into that. I feel like you know Barry White and Lou Rawls and all those people uh, who, who sang who were the who were these like lower singing males that mm -hmm. we all fell in love. With. They, I don't I don't see that right now. Yeah. I, at least I can think of anyone off the top of my head. So I just want to, in this next EP, I want to explore that realm of music more and more things in the realm of gently and things that are, you know, exploring a lower voiced male a little bit better <laughs> and um, putting our stamp on the map because, you know, you got all the, all the, we got all the tenors out there, but where, 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 where the bass and the baritones at? <laughs> Listen. You know what I'm saying? Fair question. We want love too. <laughs> so that's where I'm trying to go with the next EP, yeah. but it definitely one coming out in 2020. Um, we're looking at May. We, we started in the studio last week, actually. So oh, wow. we're giving ourselves more time than four sessions to okay. make this album. I was going to say, outside of just kind of expanding the time frame of making this, mm -hmm. I mean, what would you say you've learned from making Unapologetically, just in the creative sense that you're applying to this mm. new project, like in the songwriting process, yeah. and the, like production, like getting the right team, like what have you learned in like kind of the creation of an album that you're applying to this new one? You know, I did not know that I could write music. I was mm. like, I'm not a songwriter. I was like, Someone give me a fierce poem, we'll put it to music, that's fine. But I was like, I just did not think of myself as a songwriter. 
And working with um, Aritza Laws, um, who she worked with Michael Jackson, she worked with mm -hmm. Whitney Houston, my friend Jay DeFeo, he has a hand in almost everything that I do. Wow. And he introduced me to Aritza, and she's like an amazing singer, songwriter. So working with her, she really pulled a songwriter out of me that I did not know that I was, I was in the studio like, that is like, yes, Monet, <laughs> yes, you wanna let him know. So I wanna dive deeper into songwriting this mm -hmm. one and really, 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 really getting um, the things in my heart that I want to say. So I feel like I'm a fair songwriter. I, want, I definitely wanna do that more. And with the production, I want the music to, there is something in the way that her, because you know she plays like nineteen instruments. She's uh, just putting everyone. Ashamed. You know what I'm saying? It's fine. Just like you know. God damn it! Can <laughs> just give me just a little bit of that talent? Um, but like the way that she scores some of her music is that sometimes it's not even the lyrics she's saying, but it is the melodies she's choosing, and it, and it is in the production that, you, that she is speaking to you sonically, and you have no idea it's even happening. And then you get to the end of the song, you're like. Damn, I, like I, know, I need a right? cigarette. You know what I'm saying? Like she has really <laughs> yeah. spoken to your heart. So I think in this new EP, I definitely want to speak sonically more than just with the lyrics. Right, right. Yeah. And so, I mean, obviously you have such a long career ahead of you, but at this particular point in your career, how have you come to define creativity? Oh, that is a good question. I've come to define creativity as authenticity. Mm. I think that, you know, especially in 2019, 2020 going into, we, a lot of us, we get not too inspired, but we're, because so many people have done so many great things, the lines of authenticity and creativity are blurred a little bit. Sometimes you're so inspired by this person that you're not realizing that you're making a product that's almost too similar. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's like, where, but where are you? So I think that Creativity in 2020 for me is defined as authenticity and taking inspiration, but making it your own. Because again, no one else can be you but you. You are the literally the only person in the world. In how many people in the world? Almost a trillion, I'm mm -hmm. sure. Getting you are literally the out of one trillion people, you have a hundred percent chance of being yourself. Yeah. So I think that that's what my creativity is defined as: is authenticity, being authentically myself, and always. Pushing that merch, pushing that idea, pushing that person. Myself. That might be my favorite answer to that question, Monet. Thank oh. you so much. This was ah, this was fun. This was so fun. I appreciate you swinging by. This is amazing. Woo! Thanks for listening to Creative Conversation. Be sure to subscribe to Creative Conversation wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing on this podcast, don't forget to rate and review. We always love hearing your feedback. I'm your host, Casey Finey. 